Thank you. Have a seat, everybody. You know, I know churches all over America right now, many of whom are just praying that one person would be saved this year in their ministry. And we have people at Fistory Baptist Church being saved every week. We have, we can clap for that. Let's clap for that. I know churches in America that haven't had the opportunity or the blessing to fill up a baptistry in five years. They literally have seen no one baptized in five years. And we've had people baptized every week over the last three weeks with another one to come next week. I know churches who pray for maybe just one child to attend their congregation. Just one hope, one encouragement that they have a next generation that's going to come. And we have a church full of children. I know some churches, some pastors that just beg God and pray that God would send them just a couple of leaders to help them to make an impact in their community. And we have a church full of leaders who are serving God faithfully every single week. These are good, good times at Fifth Street Baptist Church. God's hand is upon this church right now, and he is moving in a mighty way. I hope you'll be a part of it. I hope you'll keep your ear open to the leadership of the Holy Spirit and what he's calling you to do. I pray that you'll find the next three weeks to be encouraging as we move into a sermon series called The Encourager and what it means to be a born-again believer encouraging people in Jesus. So with that being said, I want to invite our children up here. We're going to have a time for our children's message. Come on up here. All right. If this is your first time here, we have our kids come up just for a brief little message. Looking good. Come on up here, guys. All right. Wasn't it exciting to have a baptism today? Yes. I want to talk to you guys just for a minute about encouragement. What does encouragement mean? What do you guys think it means when you hear that word, encouragement? Sophie? Giving someone something to do it for, to do something, okay. Yeah? Like a purpose? A purpose, okay. To encourage someone, yes. Okay, all right. Uh, go ahead. Baja. Baptizing can be encouraging. All right, encouragement. When you hear that word, what else do you think about? Anybody else? What is encouragement? Maybe do you think of this? When someone encourages you to do this? What am I doing? I'm smiling. How about this? You guys are amazing, and I'm so glad you're here today. Look, you're all smiling back at me. Encouragement, encouraging people or encouragement makes us smile. It makes our heart feel happy. Did you know that the Bible says that we're supposed to encourage one another at church? Did you know that? What are some ways that we can encourage each other at church? Go ahead, Brianna. Take what? Taking a leap of faith for your friend? Yes, okay. Abijah, how can we encourage people at church? Like I'm going encourage them to like I'm baptized. Oh, encouraging them to be baptized. Yes. What do you think, Winnie? You could use nice words, yeah, to build them up, Sophie. To bring, to bring someone to church? Yes? Anybody else? Any, maybe one more. How do we encourage people at church? 
How about high fives? Do you guys like to give, give your friend, give your neighbor right here a high five? Look, you can't help but smile. That's exciting, right? And encouraging. That's the message for today, all right? We encourage, yeah, one more, go ahead. You can be friends with them, that's right. So, over the next three weeks, we're going to talk about encouragement and how we encourage one another. Can you guys guess what the word of the day is going to be? Encouragement. Encouragement. Go sit back down and let's do this sermon, all right. All right, church, I want to invite you to take out a copy of God's Word with me today and open it to, open it to Colossians chapter 4. Colossians chapter 4. Over the next three weeks, with one week kind of in the middle, so in four weeks, we're going to talk about encouragement. Everyone could use some encouragement, right? Lift your hand if you want some encouragement today. Anybody? Those of you without your hands lifted, I guess you're all full of encouragement. You can help encourage somebody else. We could all use some encouragement, right? We could all use a person to help build us up, help bring a smile to our face and joy to our hearts. You know, the words encourage and encouragement are found throughout the Bible. God cares about us being encouraged. The Bible's full of examples of people encouraging others. In fact, the Lord commands us in His Word to encourage one another. The Bible writers use the Greek word paraklesis. Paraklesis. That's the Koine Greek word that they use for us uh, in our translation of encourage and encouragement or to exhort in the New Testament. You know, it's important for us to understand what paraklesis meant to the Bible's writers. So when the, the Bible writer wrote under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that we are to encourage one another, when, when he used the word paraklesis there, we need to understand what he meant by encouragement. They use that word in the New Testament primarily to exhort or to encourage people to initiate their faith in Jesus, or to be born again, or they encouraged or exhorted people to take a step of faith in Jesus. And so that's what we're going to talk about over the next three weeks. The foundation of biblical encouragement is faith in Jesus. So when we talk about encouragement over the next three weeks, we're going to talk about ways in which we can grow our faith in Jesus. Over the next few weeks, we're going to examine specific Bible passages that demonstrate our role as an encourager. How can I be an encourager? The way that God desires for me to be in His church. In the world in which we live today, how can I be an encourager? Today, we're going to focus on the way the Bible commands us to encourage others to initiate their faith in Jesus. How do I encourage people to turn from sin and place their faith in Jesus as Lord and Savior? How, how do I do that with my life? The single, one of the single greatest examples of someone who did that with her life was this gal named Lily, Miss Lily. Miss Lily joined us uh, in our very first church plant uh, Darlene and I were in our early 20s, uh, had no idea what we were doing. We just had a fire in our heart to bring the gospel to this community in Orange Park. 
Miss Lily joined us. She was a senior adult gal, had seen God move in amazing ways in her life, healed her of cancer, and compelled her to use the life that she had left, her remaining days, to be an encourager for people to turn from sin and place their faith in Jesus. One time I watched Miss Lily while we were out in the neighborhood, knocking on doors, talking to people about Jesus, walk up, led, driven, compelled by the Holy Spirit to engage these older teenage men who were playing basketball. These older teenage boys were playing basketball. From, you know, block away, we could hear profanity and harsh language, and it did not look like a place where God was going to move and lead people of faith in Jesus. Miss Lily saw a place like that as a supreme opportunity to lead someone from darkness into the light of Jesus. She walked into that group of young men as they were playing their game, in the middle of the game, and said, I need to talk to you boys about something really important. They kind of ignored her. Okay, okay. Well, that wasn't enough for Miss Lily. Most of us would have seen that as a closed door, right? Obviously, the Holy Spirit's closed the door. They don't want to talk to me. Well, Miss Lily did not easily come up to a door that appeared to be closed. She walked up to that door, and then she kicked the door open. She engaged those boys with the gospel. Literally, I watched this woman grab two of them by the hand and walk with them about 20 feet away from the basketball game. And they followed her. They did exactly what Miss Lily said. Miss Lily, with boldness and tact, grace and love, carefully showed them the gospel message and led both of them to Jesus. Miss Lily is an example I use often to demonstrate what it means to be someone who draws people to faith in Jesus. You see, the biblical encourager does that with his or her life. We do that in two ways, and that's what our text is going to show us today. How do we encourage people to turn from sin and trust in Jesus as Lord and Savior? We do that first through our actions. We do that first, according to Colossians chapter 4, verses 5 and 6, through wise living. And so today I'm going to compel you to live wisely. We also lead people to Jesus through our words. We do that by speaking graciously. So today, very simply, I'm going to talk about two things. Live wisely, speak graciously. Turn to Colossians 4, verse 5. As we talk first about living wisely, Paul wrote this letter to the Colossian church. New believers who were living in a pagan world, living amongst a, a Roman-controlled city, trying to flesh out their faith, faith, trying to be lights in a dark place. And so this is Paul's letter to them about how they're supposed to live in a place such as this, a place like Key West. First, he says in verse 5, Conduct yourselves with wisdom toward outsiders, making the most of the opportunity. In verse 5, Paul explains how our actions will encourage people to follow Jesus. First, the first half of verse 5 says this, We must walk in wisdom toward outsiders, or we must walk and live wisely among people who do not yet know Jesus. This means we combine both boldness and tact. It's a delicate tension. 
Being unafraid to share the truth. Being bold in our faith. While also, also sharing the truth in a loving way. In accordance with the leadership of the Holy Spirit. Well, maybe you're asking, how do I do that? How do I live wisely among people who do not yet know Jesus? First, pray for wisdom. Did you know that wisdom is freely available in abundance to every single believer who asks for it? Did you know that? Anybody in here need some wisdom? We all need it. And our God wants to give it to us. James 1.5 says, But if any of you lacks wisdom, that's me right here, let him ask God who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. You know what that means? If you recognize that you need wisdom, all you got to do is ask for it. The Father in heaven says, listen, if you figure out that you need some wisdom, if you ask me for it, I'm going to pour it out generously and in abundance upon you without reproach. That means it doesn't matter who you are, what you've done, what you are doing, what you will do. If you ask God for wisdom, believer, he's going to pour it out on top of you. And the way that the, the Koine Greek describes this is equivalent to someone standing under a waterfall. That's how much wisdom God desires to pour out on your life. So as you seek to live wisely, number one, just ask God to give you wisdom. Why don't we ask God to give us wisdom? It's pride, right? We don't think we need wisdom. We think we've got it all figured out. If you think you've got it figured out, ask someone who cares about you and they'll give you the truth. You can possess godly wisdom. And our Father in heaven desires to pour it out upon your life in abundance. So ask for wisdom. And then second, how do we live wisely? Be aware of the context. The world holds Christians to a higher standard. Is that true? No. The question we have to ask is, what right does the world have? These are people who do not yet know Jesus. What right do they have to hold me to a higher standard? Well, because we say that we are supposed to live by a higher standard, right? The world knows that if you're professing Christian, if you're telling people, I follow Jesus, they know how you're supposed to live. 1 Thessalonians 5.22 says, Abstain from every form of evil. We need to, church, we need to avoid any appearance of evil. First, and most importantly, because Jesus set us apart to be holy. We are chosen by him. We've, we've been adopted into God's family. We have a place prepared for us in heaven to go when we die. We are part of his family now. We're, we're set apart to be holy. We're in this preparation phase for us to go and be with God forever in this time between now and the not yet when one day we'll go to be with in heaven. We are set apart by God to be a holy people, called by him to be a light in this world. Second, we should be holy. We should be aware of our context. Because we don't want to erect any unnecessary barriers between us or between someone and Jesus. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20 says this. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. Listen, 
as though God were making an appeal through us. What's the appeal? We beg you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. As a born-again believer in Christ, you are God's ambassador to a fallen world. God has established you as his representative on this earth. If we're going to live wisely among people who do not yet know Jesus, we need to properly represent Jesus. People need to look at you and see Jesus. That doesn't mean we're going to be perfect. That means we're always working, always praying, always trying to do our very best to properly represent the king as his ambassadors. Third, we need to do good works in the name of Jesus. Titus 2, 7 and 8 says this, In all things show yourself to be an example of good deeds, with purity and doctrine, dignified, sound in speech, which is beyond reproach, so that the opponent will be put to shame, having nothing bad to say about us. When we leave this place and go out into this world, work in our jobs, spending time with our family and our neighbors, People shouldn't have anything negative to say about us. That's true. Instead, people should have to come to the understanding that that person follows Jesus. That person lives a life that properly reflects, reflects God in this world. So those are three things we should do to live wisely in this world. How do we walk in wisdom in a fallen world so the lost will follow us to Jesus? These are so basic, so clear. I know you already know all of them. First, obey the law. Most people only follow the law if they think they're going to get caught. Right? Let me give you an example that is going to hit home. Like a knife blade into your heart, as if it's the word from the word of God itself. Here it is. Anybody go out on mini season? Anybody? All right, me and Steve and this whole church, me and Steve are the only ones that went out. Okay, thank you very much. How many people went out at lobster mini season? It's a two-day season when people can go out and catch lobster. All right. What does obeying the law mean? It means this. When you go out at mini season and you catch that lobster and the little thing that measured the carapace, that's the part of the lobster that has to be above a certain length, just barely goes over. That means you have to throw it back. Right? Even if you're 10 feet from your house, in the canal across from your house, and you know I could get this lobster, and I could run it back to my house, and I could have lobster for dinner. You know what obeying the law means? Throwing it back in the water. Obeying the speed limit. Fulfilling the things that our law has established because God's the one that establishes the people that establish our law. If we want to live wisely in this world, we should obey the law. I told you y'all already knew these things. Number two, which I've seen you guys do amazing, ready? Help people out. Live wisely among people just by helping people. I've seen demonstrations of kindness from this congregation so many times just in the past couple months. I've heard about y'all stopping to help people on the side of the road, fixing broken cars, giving people rides. 
sitting on someone's porch over coffee after the loss of a loved one, all kinds of stuff, giving people resources in need. Y'all do a great job of this. And you know what? Helping people out stands out in this world. It is uncommon to sacrifice for people in this world. And that's one other way to live wisely. And then just a third one, real simple. Do what you say you're going to do. I have had a grandfather who's passed away. Of all the people in my life, this guy did what he said he was going to do. So, if me and my cousins were messing around in the backyard and we did something we knew we weren't supposed to do and Grandpa said, go get the switch because there's about to be a spanking, you know what happened? The switch was found and there was a spanking. It didn't happen often. On the other side, and maybe more encouraging, if Grandpa said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do, I'm going to be, you know, at your football game next Tuesday night at 7 o'clock, you know who was there? Grandpa. If he said, I'm going to help you do this, he helped you do this. If he said, don't do that, you better not do it. Being a person of your word, especially in these days, makes you a person who others take seriously. You know what that means? When you sit down with someone and you tell them about Jesus, they know that this isn't just more hot air from this person who never follows through with the things that they say they're going to do. They take you seriously. They believe what you're saying because you're someone who does what he says, says what he does. The second part of verse 5 says that we are to make the most of the opportunity. Or make the most of your time. More specifically, in the original language, it means redeem the time. Church, did you know that time is a gift from God? I mean, every moment of life is a gift. It's not something we deserve. It's not something we earn. It's not something that we get to decide if we have or don't have, right? Life and time inside of life is something that God gives us. It's also something you can't buy and something you can't get back. You know, every single person, no matter who you are, has 24 hours in every day. 1,440 minutes, 86,400 seconds. And roughly 11 hours and 50 minutes have passed today. You know, time is interesting. Time tends to pass in relative fashion, right? So a whole day spent at the beach or one day of mini-season, right? That passes fast. You don't even know where the time went. Whereas sitting in the pew and listening to one of my longer sermons may almost seem to make time stop. In light of these truths, how do we use the gift of time? The text says here, to make the most of the opportunity, or that we should redeem the gift of time. That means we should use every moment of every day, every second, every breath, every beat of our heart to give God glory. Well, how do we use our time to maximize God's glory? How do we redeem our time? I think it primarily is this. 
just being available to be used by God. Just being available to be used by God. I'm not talking about you attending another meeting or, or starting a new ministry necessarily, although that might be something God calls you to do. I'm just saying we redeem the time by being available for God to use that time, how he wants to use it. You know, Jesus was never in a hurry. Go back, read the Gospels. You don't ever see Jesus saying, oh man, we're late, we need to get over here and do this. Or, oh, we arrived at the wedding too early. What are we going to do now? Jesus perfectly used every moment of his life to give God glory. He spent time with the powerful leaders of the day and sat down and spoke with and taught the youngest children. He walked among immense crowds and preached to thousands, but he also met with one under the cover of night. All the while and in every circumstance, redeeming the time. So how do we redeem the time? By being available. To be used by God in every circumstance. So the encourager leads people to Jesus through his and her actions. Second, looking at Colossians chapter 4, verse 6, the encourager leads people to Jesus through their words. So we not only need to live wisely, we need to speak graciously. Look at verse 6. It says, Let your speech always be with grace, as though seasoned with salt, so that you will know how you should respond to each person. According to this verse, our conversations with others should possess two characteristics. They should be gracious and they should be seasoned with salt. So let's talk about grace first. Colossians chapter 3 verse 16 describes what this kind of talk is like. It says, Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you, with all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. We should speak to others from the perspective of someone who's been radically forgiven of horrendous sins and saved from eternal punishment in a real place called hell. Because the fact of the matter is that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Every single person in this room at one point or another in our lives was in the same predicament. We were lost, hopeless, purposeless, desperately in need of God's miraculous intervention to save us and to reconcile us with himself. And that God, praise God, sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for our sins. And so now all lost sinners, any person on this earth who would turn from their sin and place their faith in Jesus as Lord and Savior can be forgiven and reconciled with God. And so we receive this gracious gift from our God in heaven to be saved, to be born again, to be made righteous like Jesus is righteous. Now, God calls us 
to extend that grace to others. And so as we speak to others, our words should emanate from a heart of thankfulness. It should be coated with honey and filled with joy. Because we were once lost sinners headed for hell who have been radically saved by the grace of God and now preparing for eternity in heaven. Speak with grace. Second, look at the text. Speak with words seasoned with salt. Not salty words. Y'all aren't pirates. No salty pirates live here. We don't need another cantankerous person in this church. We need people who speak words seasoned with salt. What does that mean? That means that our words should draw people to faith in Jesus. Not send them running away like parents who just learned of a recent head lice outbreak at the elementary school. To speak with words seasoned with salt means two things. First, it means our conversations are biblically appropriate. That means we don't use profanity. We don't tell coarse jokes. We don't gossip. Our words build people up and correctly represent the language of a follower of Jesus. Now, I've heard in my time some wonderful Christian ladies They have this favorite phrase, bless your heart. That's a good one, right? Maybe you use that correctly to build people up, but if you don't, you should stop doing that. (laughs) I've been in churches before where I had to make hard decisions and then sat around a table with some people that didn't understand what was happening and had them berate me and yell at me and use about every word they could think of that wasn't profanity. And within those conversations, they always seemed to use this phrase, bless your heart. And now I was a kind of a new person in the church. Like I was saved at 20. I wasn't raised in the evangelical church. And so it took me a while to figure out that when people say bless your heart, they're not being nice to you. They're actually... They're actually kind of cursing you like they're saying, like, too bad you really don't understand how things really are. Like, you really need God to bless your foolish heart. That's what they're saying. So if you use that, make sure you use it in a good way. Don't use Christian language to demean someone. No bless your heart hypocrites here. Some of y'all probably said it today and you're like, oh, snap, okay. Our conversation should be biblically appropriate. Second, our conversation should be contextually correct. There's a time and a place for everything, right? We want to be bold in sharing the truth, but we need to use it in a loving, appropriate way. If you say, I'm just saying, or, hey, it's the truth. If you find yourself saying that a lot, you might be using the truth in contextually inappropriate ways. In my house, we use this phrase. Because my house is full of people who love 
the truth, right? We, we want to search for God's truth. We want to see the truth reign in God's church. Sometimes there's a time and a place to say the truth. Sometimes there's a way to say the truth that's more encouraging than others. So the phrase we use that I wanted to gift to you today is, y'all need to put some honey on that truth, right? So sometimes truth can be kind of bitter to, to swallow, right? It's not easy. Sometimes it tastes a little bit better with some honey. Sometimes we need to both encourage by using the truth as well as encourage by building people up in other ways at the same time. Think about that. The next time you need to talk with someone and have a truth conversation, put a little honey on that truth. It's easier to swallow. So how do I speak with truth or with grace and salt? Put yourself in their shoes. Communicate with people from the perspective of someone who's been graciously saved by God's gift of Jesus Christ. Remember forgiveness, the forgiveness you received, and offer that kind of grace to other people. And finally, ask yourself, are my words, what's coming out of my mouth, are they encouraging or discouraging? Am I proclaiming the truth of God's word in a way that's compelling and loving and drawing people to Jesus? And so as an encourager, we are called by God to live wisely and to speak graciously. We're going to have a time now of invitation. And we're inviting you to Make decisions now as God leads. In just a minute, if you've not been here before, we're, we're all going to stand up. I'm going to pray. We're going to sing a song together. If God is leading you to make any kind of decision today, I want to I compel you to come forward. Maybe you need to be saved. Maybe you need to turn from sin and place your faith in Jesus for the very first time. Maybe you saw what was happening in the baptistry and you think, I need to be baptized. I've not followed through with my baptism. Maybe you need to join this church. Maybe you've not been living as an encourager. Maybe you have a bitter heart and you've been discouraging people from following Jesus. You know what the Bible says? God gives grace to the humble. All of us have been there. You'll find encouragement and forgiveness at the throne of God when you come with a repentant heart. And let's use this time now to respond to whatever God's doing in your life and in your heart. Would you all stand with me? Heavenly Father, I pray over this time. I pray over that man, that woman, that child. Whatever you're doing in their hearts and in their minds, give them faith to take a step forward in response by faith. Whether it's the one who needs to be saved, the one who needs to follow through with baptism, to join this church, to be a part of a ministry, or perhaps the one who's been battling with a bitter heart. All of those things will find forgiveness, faith, encouragement at your throne. Help us now to come to you, to your throne, in this moment of decision. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. God is moving. You come forward. You need prayer, you come forward.
God is good. All Amen. All right. We do have one decision to let you know about this morning. Anna, come on up here. This is Anna. She's been attending our church for quite a while. Um, she's coming forward today. She's a born-again believer who's been baptized. Um, she would like to join our church. So if you'd like to receive Anna into our fellowship, would you signify that by saying Amen. Amen. All right. I'm going to see if I can get Anna to come with me to the front. Darlene can tell you about that. You can have a seat right over here. Thank you. Let's give Anna a hand. Um, amen. All right, make sure that you're back here next Sunday because we have more baptisms. we got three more baptisms next Sunday morning. Make sure you're here to support uh, those who are coming forward to be baptized. I'm going to close in prayer. I look forward to seeing you as you exit at the front door. God bless you, and may he use you in a mighty way this week. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you for all that you've done in our hearts and in our lives today. We pray as we leave this place that we would go and be encouragers, ambassadors for you and for this faith that we love so more people could hear the gospel and be saved, so Christians could be compelled to take steps of faith, so you could be given glory and so your kingdom could expand. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. Is he good? He is good. 
Is he God? He is God. Yes, he is. Good God Almighty. Is he good? He is good. And is he God? 